0: Hey there, this is Will Gadara, and welcome back to Weekly Specials. Or, if you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. You'll notice a few things have changed here. For one, you can't see me anymore. As the world shifts and cities are now slowly reopening around the country, we wanted to make ourselves a bit more accessible. So now, you can hear us every week wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll still put out some video specials from time to time. So keep an eye out on our Instagram page, at Welcome Conference. And thank you for joining us, however you do. It's the weekly specials. Do, do 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 Weekly specials. Good news coming at you. The weekly specials. do 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 do, do, do. As a dining room guy, I was always taught that you're supposed to have conversations that don't ruffle feathers, that there are just certain topics you stay away from in the dining room. But right now, these are the topics that call for our attention. The hard ones, the uncomfortable ones, the deep ones that especially for white people may not flow as easily. The Welcome Conference was built on the foundation of dialogue to explore ideas in hospitality. This moment that we're in is difficult, but aching for that dialogue. Day by day, the more conversations we have, the more understanding we'll share. And then, together, we can have a greater appreciation for who we are, where we came from, and how we want the future to look. And so, here we are, presenting you with leaders in our industry, sharing their experiences, their history, and their voice. We hope the conversations we have in the coming weeks will be honest and eye-opening, and that they will inspire action so that we can all be more connected. In this episode, I spoke to Naisha Arrington, An L.A.-based chef with an impressive career. But more importantly, someone I've recently come to call a friend and who I have great respect for. She started cooking at the age of 14 and has since worked in one, two, and three Michelin star restaurants and competed to represent Team USA in the Boku store, gaining an incredible perspective on the world of fine dining along the way. We had a lot to talk about not only learning more about her career as a chef, but also what her experience has been like coming up in the industry as a female and a person of color. Naisha has some great insights that we can learn from and apply in our own contexts. So let's jump right in. Naisha Arrington, nice to see you. Who are you, pretend... There's a pre-COVID, what's your restaurant, the whole thing? Just yeah. like level
1: set. <laughs> Who am I? I am a chef. I reside in the lovely place of Santa Monica in Los Angeles. And I've uh, been here all of my life. grew up here, lived around uh, the world, Hawaii, Virgin Islands, Vegas, Aspen, a bunch of places. But Los Angeles is my home base. Uh, I've been cooking professionally since year two thousand and two, so (laughs) eighteen years. Which it honestly doesn't feel like. Like I mean, I was just one of those people that really listened to my parents and they were like, you should find something that you enjoy doing. So I did that and I'm very right brain. I'm creative and I I feel like food is my my medium for self expression. So I've been cooking for eighteen years, predominantly and fine dining, kind of cutting my teeth and coming up in the world through three, two and one star Michelin restaurants. I feel like I'm old school old school, but like new school, you know? So I'm kind of I live these my life in this parallel of conversation and how I dictate what my values and my morals are and how I operate. So I started fine dining. I've had two restaurants of my own. First one I opened in the year 2015, early 15, very late 14. And that was my first restaurant. It was called Leona. It was top 100 in Los Angeles per Jonathan Gold. Super celebrated and
0: Congratulations.
1: thank you. And it was exciting. I mean, a lot, a lot of people were like, Oh, finally she's opening a restaurant. But for me, I enjoyed the whole journey. You know, I started my career. As in, you know, Garmage one, and a very conscious path up until sort of every position: Garmage one, two, and three, Entremet, Poissonnier, Beyond, Saucier, Junior Sous Chef, all the things went up the brigade, very consciously in very particular kitchens, and then you know became a chef partner in a, in a business, and and then I I like had to walk away from that as sometimes the journey of life goes in life. And then I took on another business venture called native similar ethos and cooking. I feel like my food is very rooted in California cuisine. So, you know, I love to mix like salty and savory. I love to mix flavors of global inspiration. And so The first restaurant I called my food. I'm just like this person that always has to be this, like, think out of the box. (laughs) I don't know. I've leaned into it. Like, I accept that. That's me, right? Before I've kind of fought it. And I was like, why Why do you always have to, like, do everything different? But I called my food in the first restaurant Progressive California Cuisine because I feel like that is something that incites forward momentum, progression. And uh, California Cuisine is California Cuisine, right? There's always been the greats like Alice Waters and. Yes. Um, right? So, uh, from there, when I opened Native, I thought, how do I articulate my food, my love for food? What is my food? There's a lot of questions that kind of ran through my mind uh, when I opened the restaurant. But what I've learned about myself, my life journey and my path of who am I, as the question has been posed, it, for me, right, like food's a big part of my life. I identify a lot of who I am and my character, how I'm wired, what is my grid, through the lens and the eyes of a chef. I view the world through the eyes of a chef. That's good and bad. I mean, you know, it's just porous, really. But when I said, what is my narrative at Native, when I thought about the name, I thought everyone is a Native something. Everyone is an Indigenous something, right? So like native, I felt like had this connotation to it. That's like a nucleus and it's drawing people together at the dinner table wherever you're from. So that was kind of this overarching message and story. Yeah. So that restaurant didn't work out for a lot of reasons. I think in hindsight, it just wasn't the place for the concept. There was a lot of operational things that didn't work out with plumbing and just structural things that weren't, it wasn't my 20 year restaurant. So I closed that last March up until the year of COVID, that last year, 2000, March 2019 to March 2020, I kind of did a lot of soul-searching. Well, I, I I traveled the world, I went to six different countries. I kind of honestly shed a lot of, like, who is naisha as the line cook who's on the line and, like, pushing in service and, like, being a leader and, like, donning the chef coat and working in these, like, very European-style kitchens and, like, I assimilated a lot of, like, my character that wanting to be the fastest, wanting to have the best technique, sharpest knife in the kitchen, working the hardest, you know, which ultimately creates a good – a chef, right? But um, I think this last year I kind of went in and was like, uh, okay, who else am I, you know? So – but also through the lens of a chef. So, yeah, I mean, I, I essentially am an entrepreneur at heart. Like, I'm – i I Have really kind of dictated who I am as a chef and it's very unconventional, I feel like. First few chapters of my life have been spent very, uh, traditional, right? Like French brigades and now I'm kind of, I've leaned into more about the storytelling and that kind of je ne sais quoi, like of life, you know? It's, it's about legacy. It's about teaching the next generation and it is about carrying on those life stories and that through line that I feel like today in a world of tech can sometimes get lost, you know? So that's really where my, my happy place is is like celebrating the artisans, celebrating the farmers, you know, having great product. Someone's super stoked about a carrot or a radish that they grew. And, you know, you're able to add your kind of layer of intention behind it and make it, just bring it to life. I get, I kind of geek out on that, that kind of stuff, you know? So
0: when did you decide you wanted to be a chef? Was there an experience or was there a moment? How old were you? Like, what happened that made you fall in love with this business?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's one of my favorite questions. I started cooking with my grandmother, who's a Korean immigrant, and she – pulled my ass in the kitchen as much as she could. I now I understand why it's like free child labor. I totally get it. Now. <laughs> but I was like, you know, her resident garlic peeler or like egg cracker or like, I remember specifically she would make this salad of like blanched spinach and this really spicy sauce. Her name was Aisun. And so I would always be the like spinach squeezer. So I think, you know, as I reflect on my life, those moments really, really early on, stepping on that step stool next to her, it's, it lived in me. It planted a seed in my soul. And to this day, you know, I've just been on this, I'm, I'm like getting teary eyed now. I've been on this like pursuit of evoking that emotion in people. I, I just adore that. I adore it from so, I respect it from so many. Levels, I mean, I feel like to be in a space to hum- humbly, willingly say, I am in the hospitality industry. I'm here to serve you is like such an honorable space to be in. It's one of zero ego when we're talking about core values. Like, yes. And in, you know, so I think to understand that is, uh, is very important, first of all. But in terms of like cooking, I feel like cooking really was one of those things that found me right? Like I'm in my thirties. And now when I look back on my life, I'm like, I was always meant to be a chef. It's just was innately ingrained in me from my grandmother. But the one thing I remember I really, really loved when I would have my friends come over, um, I would always make them soup. That was my thing. I would always like make these like Asian style soups because I thought they were really easy. You just throw everything in a pot and like And then you have something that like hugs your soul, (laughs) right? Totally. And I was thinking now there's probably a reason why I wanted to make soup was that, I mean, I feel like soups, like you eat them and they're just like so nourishing and like it's just this like really safe space that it feels like internally. And I don't know. I think those are really like powerful, like energy things that you can transfer to people.
0: Okay. So as you're coming up, Who were the people that you looked up to? Who were the chefs that you...
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no. I love it. I haven't thought about this in so long. So, I mean, obviously, that, like, changes over time. But, like, I was totally that kid. Like, when Food Network first started coming out and, you know, I would run home from school and I would, like, run home from school and I would watch PBS and I would watch The Galloping Gourmet and I would watch Julia Child, Jacques Pepin. Like super old school guys, you know, and then it kind of, when Food Network came out, like I started watching like Gail Gann with her pastries and like Rachel Ray with her like, for I, I forget what it was called. Um, she had a bunch of shows. Yeah, like the Two Hot Tamales and then Essence of Emerald, like all those people. I just loved watching those shows. And I would like, I remember sitting in my living room, like eating cereal, coming home from school and like being stoked about it was a new thing, like having like cooking shows, you know, and heading
0: home from high school to walk Jacques Pétain.
1: <laughs> 100%. Like that was my favorite thing. <laughs>
0: it was so yeah. perfect. Okay. So your first job, like your first job where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, this is a legit restaurant and I'm, I'm off to do it. What was the restaurant?
1: Okay. So the restaurant was called Giraffe. It just closed last year. It's spelled with a J. It wasn't too far from actually where I live now. It's on Santa Monica and Fifth Street. And I had an internship there and I was working. Basically, I was in culinary school, going to culinary school, whatever, six to two. And then after two, I'd go work my shifts probably three or four days a week at Giraffe. And it was so hard. Well, oh my God, it was like 2002 and it was a completely different time back then. I was so scared every day that I would go into that kitchen and, and yeah. So, I mean, it's just because it's intimidating also just as a young adult, like le- learning about your character, who are you in the world? You're like, ah, oh, I'm out here. I'm doing it. I'm doing the things. Like, am I doing it right?
0: Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to get into it a little bit here the first five years of your career, you're coming up, you're pushing, you're working really hard. How was that experience for you? And as you looked around the kitchen, how was your experience different from the white counterparts that you had in the kitchen?
1: Yeah. I mean, full transparency. So the first kitchen I worked in, that was giraffe. There was a lot of, like – it was, like, equal parts – I mean, like, the leadership team was mostly white, right? And then a lot of, like, the rest of the team was Latino. And then I think there was only one other female out of, like, maybe 20 BOH team members. And it was hard, man. I felt like in the beginning – you know, I understood, like, I'm a little buddy in culinary school. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna get my associate science degree. I really like cooking. And like, then I go into the real world. And I'm like, wow, like, I had an idea, like, what it would be like. And I'm a fairly strong willed individual. And I feel like just my life means en place kind of set me up for that. And I'm not justifying anything. It's just was my life experience, you know, but I'd done martial arts. And I for a long time up until I was 17 years old from five. So I feel like I had a mental discipline that like maybe helped me be able to navigate staying power. Yeah. But there were, I mean, I can picture their faces. There's just a few people like in that kitchen that like all people can do is bring their life experience to the table at any given moment. And what, and people just know what they know. Right. So like, do I hold resentment towards anyone? No. Like people just know what they know, man. And so I think a lot of people didn't make it easy for me. Definitely when I was coming up, that was part of the culture. Like, no, I'm, I, I'm actually not going to make it easy for you. I'm actually going to make it really hard for you and see how I can break you or you're going to, you know, sink or swim type scenario. So in that case, it wasn't necessarily about black or white. I mean, it was a lot of facets, male, female, and race. It was hard because you had to really develop a thick skin of, like, you know, you'd hear jokes or, like, people, like, touching the small of your back or, like, touching you in general, you know? And it's, like, you just, like, eh, like, I don't, I didn't understand why that was okay. It's so, it's kind of hard to talk about it right now because I feel like this is the first time that, like, I'm able to articulate the emotions and the feelings, you know, because when I was coming up, it was pre talk of inclusivity. It's pre talk about, you know, me too movement. It's pre anything systemically that was in our world, an issue, but specifically in the chef community, like these things were not, it's just, it's been this boat of like sailors and like grit and like unhealthy at times. And I think, um, It's healthy to talk about this stuff for sure.
0: I've heard on more than one occasion, this idea that when things like any of those things you just said happened, that no one ever felt comfortable bringing them up because they thought it would make them look bad. Is that something that you can relate to?
1: I would say that you don't bring them up because you appear to be weak and you want to only feel like, you're strong in the kitchen. You're, you're very concerned about how other people perceive you. And I mean, I worked around mostly men, you know, that were twice my age. I was in my, I was probably 19, about 18 or 19. And most of the people I was working next to were definitely not black and definitely not female and definitely twice my age. So. While I didn't see any of those things, I never noticed. I was like, oh, I'm just a human. I mean, I'm sure other people were like, oh, we can bully this girl. Because I imagine because of my own wherewithal. I mean, there. I remember there's this one time this guy, like, I was coming out of the walk-in, and I had, like, a half sheet pan. I was carrying all this knees and I was trailing him, and he slammed the fucking door in my face, man. I thought that was so rude. And I never understood why, because he did it intentionally. I was carrying a half sheet pan. I had all this meat. Mis- properly stacked, And he literally like looked over his shoulder and then like turned around and slammed the door like right in my face. And I was like, wow, like why would someone want to make my life harder when like we're supposed to be on this team? And, you know, there's tons of stories like that, but it's interesting to reflect and share and bring those things up. Because I think, ultimately it leads to like my personal healing. And I think because for so long I was like made to think that my voice doesn't matter or like those things are okay. And then the reality is those things lead down and trickle into your leadership style. So I think it, there's this huge lifting of roots that needs to happen systemically. I'd
0: love to hear a story where it was like explicit racial bias in the restaurant.
1: So there is this time and I was actually a guest chef in doing a dinner, right? I was an adult and the gentleman helping me execute my dinner said to me, you know, we were roasting these peppers for part of the dish and he roasted the peppers, right? Right. Or he asked someone to do it. I don't know. And he brought the peppers back, and I said they need more char on them. So they put more char on them, brought them back again, and they still weren't enough. Like, and I said not rudely, not aggressively. I said they need more color. Like the reality is, and I explained to him science. You know, when they're very black in the co- in the crevices, like we they kind of steam themselves off, and we can peel the skin. It's delicious, beautiful flavor. And he's like, oh yeah, so like more black, like you, like black, like your skin, like more color and i was like so um uh, my heart sank well like that i would have rather you just punched me in the face the audacity and you know i was coming to this kitchen as a guest so it hurt my feelings so bad that like i just and of course you know as a as a hard-headed stubborn chef i didn't i'm not going to like Break down and be vulnerable and show my emotion in front of the team that it wasn't even my team. I don't think anyone else heard it. Maybe one person did. I don't know. But I walked outside and I didn't know what to do. I was so mad. I was shaking. I wasn't like crying or hysterical, but I was just like, literally, I was so confused. I was so, I was so hurt, but I've been through a lot physically and emotionally. But when that person said that to me, I was like, wow, that really hurt my feelings. And I... You didn't respond to them? So I went outside, and I was, like, processing, and, you know, I called the, my boyfriend at the time who was in a different state because I'd flown in for that dinner, and I said, yo, this just happened to me, blah, blah, And, you know, I don't hold it against that person, but I, he was kind of like, oh, you know, it's, you know, how a kitchen goes, blah, blah, And it, it was just hard for me because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I I didn't know – I didn't have a voice, you know, I didn't have, I didn't, I've never worked with a black female chef. I've never worked with leadership people of color. Like I don't, I didn't know what that dialogue meant. I've only worked with European male people and I've, and it's not a negative thing. It's just that it's, it's hard. I maybe to have empathy with people who, I don't know, are talking and saying, this is what I feel. I don't think people understand me you say. Like, so yeah, lo- story in short was, um, yeah. I, then I cried, you know, I was in this alley in the back of the restaurant and I shed some tears. I remember I tried to call my dad and he's like, well, you know, maybe just leave. And I was like, I can't, you know, I have guests coming in tonight. And and, he, and he's like, you know, I think he's just my best friend. He's like, I think you're going to make the right decision, whatever you feel either way. And so I came back in and I think, you know, you could tell I was like crying and he's like, oh, you're okay. And the chef or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know, I just, uh I don't think that was like really nice what you said to me. And I was like, it was so hard to me. Cause like my chest was tight and it's just like hard to like articulate your feelings without like bursting in tears. And it was a lot of pressure. And I said, um, you know, and he's like, Oh, you know, it's a joke. And it's just like, it's just hard. Cause it's like, it's a joke to who, you know, like even if you think it's funny, you know, and I, I'm able now having done the work in myself to like talk about this freely with you. But like at the time I, I just didn't know how to process that. And every bit of me wanted to like get on a plane and come back to California, but, but I didn't. I stayed and then after the dinner, like there was kind of like this uh, after party and I, yeah, I told him, I was like, dude, you know, you can't talk to people like that. It's not good. It's not healthy and it doesn't build people's confidence. You know, there's no good result that's ever going to come from that. And I don't think he still understood. He's like, ah, oh, you know, it's just kind of how it is.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah. Feels good to talk about it. And be vulnerable. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know if it's right or wrong or intuitively. I feel like it's going to sound weird. It's kind of like, not a cop out, but it's like, Oh, I have it so bad, you know, or whatever. It's bad. It's not good, but it's like, you know, you're kind of, it's a process of unlearning. Like it's not right. It caused a visceral feeling of pain in my body that I have to pay attention to.
0: Would you react differently? If that happened tomorrow.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. I would stand on my two feet and I would, and honestly, well, not just for me, but to know that Mm -hmm. I can walk away from that knowing that the people that this person's leading will feel safe too and not have to laugh and smile while inside they want to cry and be angry, you know? And I think that's the conversation around what systemic racism is. Like why should one person have to laugh and then build up resentment and build up resentment, pass that on to your kids and like, that's when we're talking about systemic, we talk about, oh, freedom of speech and like equal rights and all this shit, but it's, it's not, it's not true. I think that's just the surface conversation. Yes. I can't tell you how many events and how many things I've went to where it's like, people walk past me. Where's the chef? It's like, you didn't see my name on the billboard. Like, you know, it's like, it's just, you get used to it. I don't know. I can you know. Pick and choose my battles where I can.
0: (laughs) I think there's so much opportunity for growth and learning because you've worked alongside, I'm sure, a ton of awesome people too. Like really good people with big hearts and probably in a much more implicit way also showed racial bias. And I'd love to hear a story about that too
1: when I think about racial bias, right, I think there's small things that almost sound silly to articulate because you kind of think twice, like, in your mind, like, was that racial bias? I don't know. It made me feel a certain way, like, you kind of, like, question. But I feel like things I've seen, for example, if you have a person of color standing next to a person who's, of like, European descent or Caucasian and white, and, you know, you have a third party enter the conversation, I feel like 90% of the time, that person is going to engage and with the person that looks like them. You know what I mean? And look through the person of color. I've experienced that a lot. I think that is racial bias. I feel like this is what I said on the conversation with the IRC last week. I said, you know, when the comments, someone mentioned, you know, how do we evoke change in the industry or in our kitchens today? I said, you know what the reality is? Walk up to, not just not just black people not just i'm you know i want to make clear i don't and just humanize people look them in the eye and shake their hand right shake their hand and and make them feel like they have dignity i think that is so that goes so far there've been times in my career where i've been like damn it's like it's not enough it's never enough to like to have the sharpest knife in the kitchen to move with the most intention to be the most focused and so-and-so has a higher title yes. or you don't get mixed sous chef, but you can be chef de partie, or, you know, whatever. You know, I feel like those types of things could have been race related for sure.
0: Yes. No, but I think what you're saying, even with the shaking of the hand, it's one of the first steps people can take is just making sure that everyone feels seen. Right. It's
1: huge. It like, like not, not superficially, but like truly, right? Because we all understand how the world works. We need to earn a dollar to live a comfortable-ish life. Like, so we're spending a lot of our time in the pursuit of earning that dollar. And a lot of times we're building families and spending more time with our work families than our actual blood families. So, if we can make these people feel valued feel seen feel heard feel safe it's just such a nurturing thing and it should not be race related and it's so interesting because there's these like tino, tiny microcosms within our societies that we build in our restaurants that kind of contradict each other some a lot of times you know we're in the hospitality space but like sometimes, I get it. I mean, chefs are known for being kind of ego driven, you know, and I, 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 I get it. I can't say that I wasn't there myself at times, you know, working, at, coming out of these kitchens, the leadership skills weren't always there in the past. And we're working at high stakes, high pressure environments. I understand, you know, expenditures are, are pricey, you know, we're working with high quality ingredients and it's stress levels tense, not made for everyone. So I'm not trying to paint a picture where I understand, where I don't understand what, what is at hand and that we can all walk into a kitchen and it's like a field of daisies and butterflies and rainbows. Like that's not realistic. It's important, first of all, to create healthy foundations for business. And I think that it first starts with on the business side, you know, and I think that trickles down into the team because, um, If we're not as individuals happy or want to exude that, then it's not going to happen on its own.
0: Well, and some of it is self-perpetuating. You said you start to emulate the people that you work for and then you, and I think the beautiful thing about right now is with everything kind of falling on top of each other, our industry has already been torn apart and needs to be rebuilt. And so, the whole idea of self-perpetuation is on hiatus right now. And so we do have an opportunity to rebuild it in a way that at least puts it on the right path, which I love. You've had a lot of conversations in the last couple weeks. I know you told me that already and I appreciate you taking time to have one with me. So can you tell me about a conversation you had that's left you feeling great, like great and uplifted and hopeful. And then one that's, on the opposite
1: 100 Two come to mind in okay. particular and i think that i'd rather start with the one that was less favorable that's a word <laughs> so my chef friend reached out to me a couple days ago and i've had more conversations in the last two weeks with facetime and on the phone with people who live in los angeles that i it's just been this very vulnerable time i feel like for people to try to like figure out what the hell is going on in our world and i've also been um how do I say refining my, who I am, who are my friends. (laughs) And, you know, I learned a lot about a lot of people, but this gentleman reached out and he said, you know, I'm having some issues with my restaurant. I feel like my teens, like just really emotional. (laughs) And like, he's in, the way he's speaking was just so like archaic. So 1990s and like, and I think that, I mean, that's, it makes sense, but, um, they're so emotional and like, and this and that, and like black lives movement and just everyone just feels so sensitive. And like, and I said, Oh, you know, elaborate, like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, just this talk about like racism and this. And I said, well, 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 how are you combating that? How are you offering tools of solution? And like, how are you like as a business owner affecting change in our, in our industry? And he said, well, you know, well, my, my sous chef, he's person of color. So and I said, okay. Well, how does how do you think he feels? Does he feel supported? You know, he's like, yeah. You know, well, you know who you know how I am. You know, I, I'm a funny guy. Like I say jokes. You know, and I'm like, yeah. I, I definitely know who you are, and I definitely know your jokes. And I'll be honest with you. And I felt very compelled to say this to him because I don't think he was understanding, right? And I said, yeah. You know, your jokes aren't funny all the time. And there are a few instances where he says has said things to me as his friend, and I've been like, yeah. You know. When you said this, that I hadn't said before, you know, and he's like, "Really? Oh, that hurts your feelings." And I'm like, "Yeah, dude. Like, you can't say those things. Like, that's not funny." It's like, "Yeah, you know, but I'm a funny guy." I'm like, "But it's not funny, you know."
0: Like, no, you're not a funny guy. Just you're not like you.
1: I do you understand? You are the only one who think you're funny, and I think that the reality is that you think you're funny, and it's a control mechanism for you to control a room. I, I think that that's a subconscious act on your part. Like, you you know, you're making people feel uncomfortable and your kitchen might be quiet or people might be cooking, but what's going on in their internal monologue? They feel like, oh, cool. That was really nice of chef to say to me or like, oh, wow. Yeah, I am actually whatever skin tone. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's not good. It's not healthy. So, and we started talking about it and having this kind of debate. And, and he said, you know what, Naisha, here's the thing about where we're at in America right now he said, uh, you call a black person this, you call a Latino person this or a Chinese person, you call a white person, you know what the derogatory term for a white person is today? It's calling them racist. You're, when you want to uh, piss a white person off, call them racist. And I said, that's not true. That's not where this global dialogue is going. You need to understand that. Because if it's making you upset, it, that's not the goal. Someone's not saying you're racist because they want to upset you. Or they're saying this is a racist or prejudiced act. It's not, that's not a derogatory statement. So if someone is saying that to you, it's because they're being made feel a certain way. And all we can do as responsible restaurateurs is listen to people. You know, I don't think people are saying things just to be saying them. And he was like, oh, you know, well, I was, ta- I was at dinner with this chef friend and, and we we're just talking about like white people are racist. And it's like, you're missing the dialogue of the conversation, my friend. No, that's not the task at hand here.
0: When people feel criticized, they start to feel attacked. And their first thing that they're compelled to do is to push back. And, man, there's such power in just taking a deep breath and, like, recognizing the intention of the person you're speaking with. And I'm sorry that happened.
1: No, I mean, it's okay. I think the reality is is that I see his character and DNA for who he is, right? All we can do is people on this planet in the human race, I think the most important emotion for us to have is empathy and walk in the path of another. So I see him, I see him, and I am like, I am me and you are you, and all I can offer is my insight, valuable or not, but here is my position. And... I don't hold resentment against you. You might think that is people are calling you racist because they have a feel attacked or feel not seen or heard or or you're calling out people for their for their racial identification and and that's not the conversation that needs to be had at that time. Right? So all those smaller conversations that lead into someone calling another person racist or saying like that's a racist act. Ultimately, I feel like If nothing else, it gave him a seed of thought, and I think it'll blossom over time. But I think we all we all have to look at people's life experience and treat people as individuals. Because while it might be a sesame seed today, tomorrow might be a watermelon seed. It might be bigger. You know, it might be a pumpkin seed, and like that seed will be will grow, and it'll grow into a tree, and that's going to take time. So I feel like. I personally took it on myself to say, no, that's not right. Well, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, I might have, like laugh and be like, ah, it's not worth it. It is worth it. It is important. I do need to take that on. That is my responsibility. And so he called the next day, you know, and he's like, you know, I really, I thought about this a lot and I'm sorry. And I was like, wow, because I never heard him talk like that, you know, and he's like, I'm sorry. And hopefully that opens up the dialogue for other conversations, you know, so it started off maybe not the healthiest, but I think the point got across of, like, you think you're a funny guy, but I don't think you have to understand not everyone thinks that you're funny when you're the only person laughing.
0: That was, like, one story that was an answer to both. That was, like, a conversation (laughs) that was...
1: Yeah, and it's short and sweet, but, I, you know, I'm mildly enamored with Marcus Samuelson. I just... Over time, throughout my, I mean, what a mensch. Throughout time, he's just been so consistent, very classy gentleman. And he's been a person through all of my life, all of my life. I mean, I've known him maybe six, six years, seven, seven or eight years now. We met on a side of TV show and we were all on the show and we were cooking through these recipes and I will never forget Will, I was like, they, they were like, pick your chefs that you want to work with. And I, and I, I looked at the recipes and when I looked at his recipes, his were the only ones that were like dialed in. They were like to the gram. They were in, in all the weights and measures were awesome. The other ones kind of looked like they were, um, just, you know, kind of whatever. So I was like, I want to work with this guy. And so, I didn't know much about Marcus. I I knew of him in culinary school. I remember hearing about him because I was like, oh, who are the other black chefs out there? Weren't many. It was like him and like B. Smith and like, I, that's kind of all I remember at that time. I remember his, seeing his Aqua Beat cookbook. Anyways, fast forward. I remember there was a recipe for foie gras ganache. It's one of his classic dishes. Yeah. and And so... I remember making it, right? And I'd made it one, two times, third time, fucking nailed that shit. And it was a difficult recipe, man, difficult recipe. I mean, foie gras ganache, thinking about so much time and temperature control. And I'll never forget, right? He came in to taste test for the day, and I'd lined up. I made a few variables. And um, I remember putting it on the plate, and he came in, you know, busy guy, on his phone, whatever, hung up. Hey, chef, my name's Naisha, shook his hand. And he's like, oh, blah, blah, kind of in, in, you know, here in in present form, in real human form. But then, like, in his mind, he was, like, probably navigating and doing all kinds of stuff, right? So I will never forget, you know, I passed him a fork, right, as people are in our industry, very intuitive. He kind of, like, motioned, and I was like, oh, he needs a fork. So I gave him a fork, and he tasted the foie gras ganache. And, like, it was the moment in, like, ratatouille when he eats the ratatouille, and he's like, his whole world just like takes him back. That was what I saw in his soul. And he stopped everything he was doing. He said, what's your name again? And he shook my hand and, and we were friends ever since, you know? And so he always checks in. He just checks in. And I feel like he has this intuitive thing and I'll see his name pop up on my phone and, and and I just feel safe. But last week I said, you know, chef, I just feel like I'm getting chills for the first time in all of my life, I feel heard. I feel strong. I feel confident. I feel seen. And I, and I said to him, it's just hard because I'm, lear- I'm learning. I feel like we're conditioned so much as chefs. Like you just become this like shell sometimes, you know? And I said, for the first time, I just feel whole, you know, I feel like, oh, all those times when I was told that my voice didn't matter, I think I started to believe it. And he said, yeah, why wouldn't you? You know, someone tells you you're a piece of shit or blah, blah, and bullies you every day. Like you're going to start to believe it, you know? And when you see crazy shit in all of these kitchens, you see grown men get slapped in the face, or you see pans thrown at people or people being burned with spoons. And, you know, you kind of, that kind of fragments your life in a way that you don't even, you're not even aware and so I said, Chef, you know, I feel very healthy. I feel healthy in my mind. And he said, that's good, Naisha. Like you, we got to keep, you know, we, it's always this like we thing. We got to keep this going for the, for the, for, for the industry, you know, and that's what I really respect about that man is that it's not just about black people. Like he's, he's passionate about, about the dialogue of us being seen for sure, but he's so passionate about our industry as a whole, our chef community, our operators, our restaurateurs, our chef community. He's, he's so passionate about making it a good place and also sees that there's a deficit in celebrating people of color. So, uh, when I spoke with him last week, I just, I, at the end of it, he didn't know this, but I had tears rolling down my face and I said, thank you for being a great mentor because I, I don't know where I would be without his guidance.
0: I was saying a song the other day that he's like a warm bath on a cold day.
1: He's great. He's consistent. He just has this really like beautiful perspective.
0: I love yeah. that. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Of course. So there's a lot to be hopeful for right now. I I similarly love our industry and I feel like as we rebuild it, it can be one of the greatest platforms to impact positive change. Like what role do you think the restaurant community, um, can, should have an impact in impacting like systemic changes, not only through the industry, but I think we have the ability to perpetuate changes throughout the country.
1: I think it's important for us to continue to focus on food deserts I feel like food is ultimately the way that the government can control the people right so I don't like that there's a huge disparity between working class people specifically black and brown people and upper class people maybe not just white but like that there's such a huge disparity in between and why is it that those communities that are underprivileged are most predominantly black and brown and don't have the same resources. Don't same ha- have the same life tools to do well and show up in school and do a good job and forge a great future for, for their families. Why is that? Why is that, that the bodegas and the grocery stores are full of shit, you know, and there's fast food and liquor stores on every corner. And then you go to affluent places and there's a whole foods and farmers markets everywhere. You know, I don't, like that and i think that from a restaurateur and business standpoint we can we have the tools to go into communities and build and help along with not just build and exploit that's not the goal and tokenize that's not the goal no it takes time it takes time to enrich and teach because i think We have to educate. We have to take that responsibility on. It's just going to come down to education, to teach confidence and have people of minority backgrounds feel as confident to walk into a room where they don't see people that look like them and feel like they can hold a conversation, you know, and not look at the ground. You know what I mean? And not even from an egotistical standpoint, just to feel like I'm a human, right? So, I think there's a lot in there. We're all going to pick some avenues to champion. I think it's supporting all of our subsidiary communities, the children, our farmers, and our workers, ultimately, you know, and humanizing people. I think that's very important because we do have to be empathetic that a lot of these people are coming. Our people, you know, are coming from underprivileged areas of the city, you know, taking three buses, working two jobs. What's going on in those homes? You know, are the kids who are getting out from school who are 10 years old taking care of their grandparents, you know, and helping put dinner on the table because mom's working as a busser at whatever. And I think that ultimately the system needs to change. You know, I think we need to break down putting black people, brown people in the back and giving them busing jobs and dishwashing jobs and start to educate so that, we can have this mixed bag and I think it may be about breaking down those stations. I think it's like, we just need to be a house. And I get everyone's like good in their individual lanes. And then as a team we're effective, I, I totally respect and understand that. But I think I like the idea of blurring the lines a bit of you're only a runner. Like that's all you do. You come in, you, whatever, you know, you roll your silverware, you know, I think it's important to have, why not have the runner come on the line and like taste the dish or walk that person through a dish, you know, and say like, Hey, I was inspired by my grandmother and this is why I love Shiso. And there's my story. Like people are like so stoked to know about those kinds of things, you know? And like.
0: And one of the things you've said now a couple of times, which I'm inspired by is like, just take time to get to know each other better. Huge. Which is so simple. And and then the other thing you've said, which is at the very root, like anyone that ever talks about how to be extraordinary in creating hospitable environments for our guests at some point or another leans into the word empathy. Mm. I love that. Thank you. So the welcome conference, I think our opportunity is to use our stage most years it's a literal stage this year it's not to project voices and to like put people out into the world. And like everyone reflecting on the last years of our careers, we haven't done a great job with diversity. We haven't, we've had 70 speakers and I think we've had 15 people of color. Um, now is a time to make commitments And so we're committing. Going forward, it's 50% female, 50% male, 50% people of color. And that's just the commitment. Who has inspired you so much that you would want them to be put on a stage to inspire a lot of other people?
1: I mean, I'm just going to say this because it came to the top, like, first person that inspires me, and she would probably kill me. But... I consider her my mentee and she's an African American young lady. Well, this woman blows me away with her character every day. You just don't meet a lot of people like her and she's just, she's so uh, thoughtful and intelligent and puts herself last. Every time she's a fucking badass on the line and her flavor profiles are fantastic and it, I've been working to build her confidence for the last year, I've seen her shine bright and I've seen her coil, you know, and and I think well, how, before if she came to me like whatever, you know, t- happened or whatever in her life or the kitchens that she hasn't been nurtured in or has been or felt that she's had to assimilate to and saying the like inappropriate jokes and laugh at the the dick jokes. I'm just going to say it shit. I don't know what. What am I gonna do? And say, you know, I just you can you see it, you see it. But this woman, she inspires me so much, and I think she has so much potential. So she's great. And then, what's her name? Her name's Peyton Johnson. She's amazing, amazing human. Yeah, she's she's great human. I'm really proud of her. Yeah, it's my goal to make sure that she has every tool in her life to be successful because I know she can do it. And I want to make sure that she feels supported because I know a lot of times, I mean, I feel like I can do things and I feel like a lot of time I, do, I wasn't supported. I know how it feels and I don't want her to feel like that. I don't want her to feel pain.
0: What's the one takeaway? People watch this, they leave with one thing that they write down, it's burned into their head. What do you want people to take away from this conversation?
1: Okay, so here's the deal. I feel like in our world, a lot of people think that it's a um, destination right change is a destination and the reality is change is right now change is this second literally you just change it's as simple as that so i don't think change and the issues that we're talking about when we see mark people Marching in the streets that don't look like me, who don't have my skin color, are marching in the streets for the same exact thing. It's, it's currently happening and I feel like we just need to maintain and hold ourselves responsible in this dialogue and not do it tomorrow and not laugh at another joke and not, not create fights, of course. That's not what I'm advocating for, but I am advocating for confidence building in people and also uplifting others, even when you, when, even if you don't feel it yourself, because I think those are the kind of things that come back to you. So I think the most important thing is to know that it's not a destination. It's our reality right now. It's not getting to that point. It is the point now.
0: I also love what you just said, that we can build confidence in others, even when we don't feel it ourselves. That's really powerful. Well, I appreciate you. Likewise. I appreciate you taking time for me and I can't wait to see you in person one day, hopefully in the not too, too distant future. Thank you for tuning in and hope you'll join us again next week on weekly specials. The show is produced by the team at the welcome conference and our production partners at resi. And thank you to our longtime partners at American Express and San Pellegrino for their unwavering support. During a time when we're not able to come together in person, their support allows us to connect with you here. Want to stay in touch or learn more? Visit us at welcomeconference.org or on Instagram at Welcome Conference. It's the weekly specials do do diddle do did, did, did. Specials, good news coming at you. The weekly specials, do, 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 do.